Desired outcome is really the key piece when it comes to customer success. And desired outcome is very simple. It's what the customer needs to achieve in the way they need to achieve it. Okay, so there's the required outcome and then there's their appropriate experience. When's the last time you looked at your customers and really asked what their desired outcome of using your product or services? In today's episode, we discuss why and how you should look at desired outcomes to help frame your customer success strategy. I'm joined by Lincoln Murphy, a customer success strategist and growth architect at Winning by Design. But first, to figure out where we need to go with desired outcomes, we need to first understand where we've been with customer success. So how has the way companies look at customer success changed and grown over the past few years? Yeah, I mean, it's probably been uh, four or five years that customer success has, probably about five years probably, that customer success has become uh, a thing it's been around for a while. I mean, we can get into a whole history lesson, but basically customer success started at Salesforce, um, that term, and it's probably been about 15, 16 years now that it, it, you know, since it's been around, but about five years ago, it started to, to really, uh, become a thing on its own that had to do a lot with actually people leaving Salesforce and, and going out to, you know, to be, you know, to either start companies, to join other companies, uh, or to be investors, sort of that cross pollination. And it also coincided, I think, with a maturing of the of the uh, of the SaaS world, certainly, and and people, you know, especially investors, looking at at churn and saying, okay, we have a churn problem. You know, what what can we do about that? So companies said, well, we need to figure out how to uh, keep our customers from leaving, which was really that was churn mitigation was really the foundation for customer success. And as I said earlier, you know. That's that's great, but once you actually stop churn and and you can get churned down to a very low a low level, how do you what do you go from there? Are we done? Well, no. Actually, customer success is something that's super powerful if you think about it as a growth lever. It can actually if we if we do things right and just so we're on the same page, um, whether you agree with me or not, that's why I always say you know at least you know where I'm coming from. That my definition of customer success is this: it's when a customer achieves their desired outcome through their interactions with your company. Okay, so if we can allow our customers to achieve that, uh, that required outcome or that, that desired outcome, which is their required outcome plus their appropriate experience, if we can help them achieve their desired outcome, they will be successful, they will stay with us, they will buy more, right? They will advocate for us. If we can do that, and we do that through all of our interactions with them, not just their use of our product, but actually through all of our interactions. So even starting in their, their when they first interact with sales and marketing to the time that they buy, selling to them in the way they need to buy, um, you know, through their initial interactions with us and as a customer, through the time that they become engaged with us. And then over the next three, five, seven, ten years, right, in a lot of cases, B2B uh, customers will stay for, you know, five or even ten years. So really understanding the desired outcome of the customers, it shows us, man, this could actually be something that, that, that's all about growth. So the way things have, have kind of evolved is that churn was the was the main catalyst in the early days, and now you have cust- you have you have companies building customer success in from the ground up as a growth mechanism. So they're they're avoiding churn altogether, and they're simply going right to to customer success being being this really big part of their growth. And then you have companies coming in. In, in, at all different places. So there's still going to be companies out there that have a high churn rate. They're going to look at customer success as a way to mitigate that churn. Once that churn has been mitigated, 
they're going to look at it as a, as a growth driver. So depending upon where you're at right now, you're going to have a different focus. But eventually, everybody should get to a point where customer success is is not stopping the bleeding or putting out the fires. It's actually something that's really positive and is helping us grow. Oh my gosh, so much there, Lincoln. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, you know, one of the first points you made was that this idea sort of started at Salesforce, this idea of customer success. Is there a direct correlation between sort of the growth of this movement and the growth of SaaS platforms? How would you say that relationship has developed and grown? Customer success definitely started with SaaS. And, and I have two, there's two reasons for that, at least that I've, that I've been able to uh, come up with. One is SaaS is a subscription model generally, right? So we, we, it's very easy to know when a customer leaves in a subscription model, right? They tell you, they're done, we're done. I'm not going to pay you anymore. It's very easy to notice that. In a transactional business, you don't really know when a customer stops being a customer, right? You can assume it's been three months since they bought something from us. I guess we'll, we'll consider them not a customer anymore. But you don't actually know, right? If I go to Starbucks, Starbucks and I decide this is the last time I'm going to buy a cup of coffee from them. I don't get my cup of coffee and then tell the, the barista, oh, by the way, make sure you write this down. This is the last time I'm ever going to buy anything from you. That's just not how it works, right? They might irritate me and I just leave and I swear them. I swear that I'm never going to buy a cup of coffee from them again, which happens frequently. Um, but then I go back, right? But yeah. you know, in a transactional business, it's harder to know. The other thing is in the SaaS world, and, you know, there are certainly exceptions to this, but most very successful SaaS companies also have had funding from venture capital firms from, from very early on in their life cycle. And what that means is that there are external people, their board of directors, looking at their numbers. Okay, so we have a subscription business where we know where it's easy to identify when customers leave. And then we have an external set of people uh, eyeballs looking at our numbers, putting pressure on us to reduce that those churn numbers. Those two things are why I think it really took hold in in SaaS. Right? They said, "Look, we have to we have to put uh, we have to we have to stop all this churn because it's really slowing down our growth." Um, other companies, non-subscription companies, it's harder to know when a customer is not a customer, and in in companies that don't have a board of directors or somebody looking at their numbers, they just don't have that pressure to make those changes. All that said, customer success is 100% not unique to SaaS. It does, it, it's absolutely applicable in every other type of, of business. It's just we have, to, we have to get to that point where people recognize that. One of the things that, that people say makes it easier in SaaS is that in SaaS, you, the vendor, have some visibility into the way the customers are using the product. But I actually think that ends up being kind of a crutch. And, and it makes us focus too much on the product, which is the other piece of that, that the customer success definition. It's through the interactions with, with us. It's not through the use of our product. So I want to know, I, if I just look at the product usage, I might be missing a whole bunch of other signals, right? I might be missing the bigger picture. So I want to make sure that I, I understand what's going on in the customer's world um, and that they're doing everything that they need to do in the product and outside of the product to ensure that they're going to achieve their desired outcome. In fact, I'd often tell SaaS vendors, you know, to do this as a thought experiment. What if you didn't have visibility into what your customers were doing in the product? Then what? Because if you can figure that out, then the visibility just becomes a nice, you know, another nice input into everything that's going on. But if you, if you think about a non-SaaS business, 
they have all those same things. They just don't have that one input into, you know, in, into to this context. So they, you know, if we just don't rely on you know, knowing what the customer is doing inside of the product or, you know, how they're consuming the service directly, we still consider all the other inputs that might be there. Then we can have some better idea uh, as to how they're, you know, how they're, or are they on the path to achieving their desired outcome? Um, and it worked with lots of different companies in that. I mean, everything from uh, even at Gainsight, we had a couple of, of, of customers um, that were that were not SaaS. One was a uh, a chain of kindergarten, uh, private kindergarten schools. One was a a chain of dance studios, and I thought that was fantastic. It, it applies, you know, the desired outcome of of somebody that wants to learn how to dance. It's not necessarily that they want to learn how to dance, although it might be. It's probably something like, you know, they need to, you know, they, they want to learn, they want to have a good first dance with their wife, you know, at their wedding um, or, or something like that. And, you know, they understand that that's the desired outcome of the customer um, and that they're going to, you know, try to achieve that, that, you know, through, or that's actually the required outcome. They're going to try to achieve that by signing up for dance lessons and the appropriate experience is, you know, that they, that they're going to do it at this, at this chain of, of dance studios. And so it applies across the board. It's just something that, again, without the subscription model, without an external set of eyes sort of, you know, putting the pressure on you to, to fix the, 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 the leaky bucket. Um, we just don't really, we don't really go there, but, uh, customer success absolutely applies across the board. It's really interesting too. I might make an argument that you know, with a B two C, for example, the Starbucks example, they sort of have Starbucks reward, and they've sort of gone to this subscription model to sort of see those touch points and see you know how customers are interacting with their product. Um, and you can say you know if some if, if someone on my Starbucks rewards hasn't purchased a coffee in three months, maybe you send them a free coupon or something. But I think I think you're right. I think B two B has sort of led this charge to really have that personal interaction and make sure that your customers are happy because as you said i mean that's how you really grow your company by having happy customers so um, and that's what Sanger mentioned too i mean that was such a great point in his interview with you is that that was the first person that they hired was a customer success person before sales before marketing because if you don't have those positive customer relationships and your customers aren't happy then ultimately your product is sort of doomed from the beginning um but not not to sort of go off this like dark gloomy uh, <laughs> frame but um what uh lincoln what's sort of your estimation of the percentage of companies out there that are sort of properly framing customer success with, as you mentioned, uh, desired outcomes? It's, it's very low. You know, I'm trying, I'm trying, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm one of the few people that, I mean, it's starting to, more people are, are, are starting to talk about this, but you know, I, I, I kind of was the first person to frame it this way that I know of. Um, and, and, you know, so it's, it's really requiring me to kind of evangelize this concept of desired outcome. Um, but you know, the, the folks that have, have gone down this path that, that are trying to, and, and we see this in, in very early stage startups all the way to, you know, much bigger, much bigger companies. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had some interactions around this with, you know, like HP enterprise and, and Cisco and Citrix and, you know, I mean, th- this is stuff that, that big companies are, are applying and, it's, and they're finding a lot of success with it. But, you know, very early stage companies are, are also seeing amazing results when you apply you know, desired outcome thinking. Um, there's, there's, uh, there's some amazing things that can come from it. That said, there are, you know, the, the idea behind 
customer success as, uh, again, just churn mitigation, just another way of doing account management, which is really all about just the financial side of, of, of an account, kind of just renaming of account management to customer success. A lot of those things are, you know, are still happening. Um, so it's low right now, but the movement seems to be getting traction. Um, it's, I would say it's pretty hard to argue with the idea around desired outcome, but you'd be amazed at, <laughs> at the pushback I get. Interesting. Um, but I think it's because, you know, it, it, it strikes a nerve or maybe it, it, it gets people to go, Oh, you know, I was actually looking at this the wrong way. And I think that makes people, you know, when I, when I say something about it and they, and, and they realize they've been going about it the wrong way, it kind of, it kind of makes them have to uh, take a step back. But again, the companies that are, that are applying this thinking, um, are thriving. And, and that's the reason that I, I keep pushing it out there because I, I'm only seeing, I haven't seen any downside from focusing on your customer's desired outcome and operationalizing around that. And, and what's cool about it is, is like I said, it's appropriate experience. And so one of the ways that customer success has evolved is that it, even just a few years ago, it was, let's just make sure that we throw bodies at this, right? Let's just have customer success managers put this out there. Um, you know, and, and we kind of had this one size fits all approach we just have people that we call customer success managers and they kind of work with all the different customers. But now, you know, we, we smartened up about this and realized different customer segments have a different desired outcome. You know, they might all share the same required outcome, although that's not even necessarily true, but they certainly have a different appropriate experience. You know, if you're selling to very early stage startups and you're selling basically the same underlying product to, you know, the, a department in a fortune 500 company, you know, those are going to be fundamentally different appropriate experiences for each of those customer segments. If you understand that, then you will not overinvest in customer success for the very small startups and you won't underinvest in customer success coverage for the very high end customers. If you don't understand that, you might try to normalize your coverage and therefore, you know, <laughs> give everybody an inappropriate experience. So, you know, it's about being, it's just kind of, being emotionally intelligent about how we approach this and understanding that customer success as an operating philosophy, you know, is one thing, but customer success management as a part of the organization, as, as a, as an organization on its own, um, it needs to have the same structure and the same, um, processes and operationalization as sales, as marketing, as, as product, as every other part of the company. It's not just a feel good, you know, customer delight, um, you know, have, have a bunch of people, people, you know, sitting there making customers happy. It's, it's actually about making customers successful. And to do that, we have to know what success is. And so not to take issue with what you said around customer happiness, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I, I do like to, like to call out that it's not about customer happiness or delight. Actually, sometimes our customers that seem like they're not happy, the ones that never seem delighted, the ones that, are always opening support tickets, pushing back on us, asking for new features. They're actually, if we look at the data, they're the ones buying more. They're the ones actually who are advocating for us. They're participating in case studies, but they know, they, 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 they know, like, and trust us, and they know that we can do more for them. So they're always pushing on us. If we, but if we don't understand that, we might look at them and go, gosh, they're, they're not happy. They're a churn threat. But in reality, it's the opposite. And, and the customers that never say anything to us or the customers that seem cheerful but never really you know, have any substantial, uh, you know, any real interaction with us, 
they're the ones that might, might be on the way out, even though they're smiling, you know, and, and, and happy when they talk to us. So it's all, you know, context is key and, and we have to take those things into consideration. I would love for everybody that I work with to be emotionally happy, but I can't solve for your happiness. The only thing I can truly solve for is, is to make sure that you achieve your desired outcome. If that makes you emotionally happy along the way, man, that's awesome. That's a bonus. But you know, if you're not happy, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna, I can live with that. You know, as long as it's not because of me, <laughs> you know, I did, I'm not trying to set out to like make you unhappy, but there are times by the way that I might push you in, into places that are a little bit uncomfortable because I know that you need to do that in order to achieve your desired outcome. And that's okay. It's not always about making people happy. So th that's, that's something that we need to, you know, we need to understand Just in, in the B2C world too, you know, personal trainers, right? Do you always like your personal trainer? No, it's the one that pushes you in the, you know, to outside of your comfort zone that makes you uncomfortable, that makes you work harder. Those are the ones that get, they, they get results, right? So, you know, it's not always about happiness, but eventually if you achieve your desired outcome, I imagine you would be actually emotionally happy, right? I just can't solve for that. Absolutely. I, I think that's a great point. And uh, thank you so much, Lincoln, for, for clarifying that. I think that's a really helpful distinction. And I want to transition real quick. I mean, I think that you sort of mentioned this a little bit earlier in that answer. Um, the idea of this idea is becoming more and more championed by more and more organizations. And I think that parallels well with sort of the growth of account-based marketing. How would you, uh, Lincoln, define sort of the relationship between the two? I mean, is it a direct relationship? Is it indirect? Obviously, they have a pretty strong relationship what would you say there is sort of the relationship between the two yeah so two things so one customer success if that is your operating philosophy or operating model then then that's going to influence every part of the organization if we really understand what the desired outcome is for a particular customer segment then we use that in our marketing and if we're going after a particular account we know sort of we understand what their desired outcome should be right because we should have some idea about that account before we ever even interact with them, um, then think about how, how, how we're going to be able to engage with them and how we're going to be able to resonate with them and, and cut through all of the noise. If we can understand what their desired outcome is and use that, there's a, there's a marketer that wrote a book uh, a while ago um, and, and he, he, this was um, actually in the 1930s, so it's been a long time. And he was talking about his time as a marketer actually in the late uh, 1800s. His name was Robert Collier. He published a book of all of his sales letters. But he also gave some commentary. And one of the things he said in there is, enter the conversation already taking place in your customer's mind. And what I've extrapolated that out to be is, well, what's the conversation that's taking place in our customer's mind? It's their desired outcome. It's what they need to achieve. That's the thing that means the most to them in the way that they need to achieve it. They have some idea. If we can use that understanding, then we can actually enter that conversation that's already taking place, however that is, whether it's direct outreach, whether it's, it's you know, uh, online ads, whether it's whatever it is, we can actually in, enter that conversation if we understand their desired outcome. So just having customer successes or operating philosophy means we understand the desired outcome, which means we should be able to use that in our sales and marketing, and in this case, in our account-based marketing. On the flip side, in terms of customer success management operations and, and how that actually feeds back into sales and marketing, well, you know, we, there, people are always like, how, what's the best voice of the customer tool out there? Well, it's actually your customer success managers. 
right? Your customer success practitioners, your customer success organization, they are working with your customers. They know what's working. They know what's not working. They know how your customers talk about the products. They know how your customers talk about their problems and the solutions they want. You know, they, they know how does your customer talk about their desired outcome? That's what your, your CSPs, your customer success organization, that's what they know. That should be fed back proactively. Your customer success manager should be doing this or somebody from your customer success organization should be feeding back to sales and marketing. All of these things that we've learned from our customers. Also, what are the characteristics of bad fit customers? What are the characteristics of our best fit customers? Right? That should be fed back to sales and marketing. Right now, though, sales and marketing is probably not going to come to customer success and ask for that stuff. So if you're in customer success and you're, and you're listening to this, you, know, you should be making sure that on a, on a frequent basis you're feeding that back into sales and marketing. And you could also be feeding that back into product and other parts of the organization too. But in terms of account-based marketing, there's a treasure trove of information in the customer success organization that you could be using and leveraging, and that all needs to come together. But even if, you, you know, if, if it wasn't just about sort of coming, bringing those two operations together, just having this overall idea of customer success as our operating philosophy should allow us to have a good understanding of that desired outcome. And if we can use that, leverage that, in, in our different account-based marketing uh, tactics, uh, then, then we're going to be able to cut through a lot of the noise and really start to resonate with all the different parts of the organization so that they come together, of our, of our prospect organization, so they come together and, and want to buy our product. It's, it's an incredibly powerful, um, I hate to word, use the word synergy, but you know, <laughs> it, it is. It's a new paradigm. Well, I think I think you're you're really onto something, Lincoln. Because I mean, one of the big you know parts of ABM is that you know you're reaching out to a much much smaller, more targeted list of folks. And if you're reaching out to them with sort of the wrong strategy, and you're not aligning with your customer success team, and you know that that there's not that quote unquote synergy there, and you know they're not actively talking and making sure that they as you said, you know, reaching out to folks sort of with the right message and the right idea based on what has succeeded in the past, then that is, I think, a big reason why potentially something like an ABM strategy could not go as well as you initially planned it if you don't have that right mindset and that strategy up front. So uh, fantastic way to frame it there. Well, uh, last question here, Lincoln, what are you presenting on or most looking forward to at Flip My Fun? I'll let you choose which one of those you want to answer. Well, I mean, it's 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 kind of both. So I, I'm I'm really looking forward to my presentation that flipped my funnel. <laughs> no, um, I'm lo- I'm looking forward to, to just hearing from everybody. It's going to be an amazing wow. event. Um, I am going to be uh, speaking on how to take the power back. You know, the thing is, we 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 talk a lot about you know all this great stuff, but the reality is, in, in, especially in a SaaS world, but in the world today, there's a lot of power in the customer's hands. How can we take that power back? And uh, you know, I'll, I'll guarantee you, there's going to be a little bit of a twist there. But uh, you know, how do we take the power back, and and how do we use customer success to do that? Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be um, a pretty, uh, I don't know, it's going to be a pretty good time just at the at the event overall. I hope to get everybody hyped up about customer success and how it fits in with ABM. But most of all, you know, it's how do we how do we take the power back? And uh, and you know, spoiler alert, uh, it's it's really going to be about making sure. That, uh, that we make our customers powerful in the process. Hey Amen. I love it. I love it. Super, super excited about that, Lincoln. Um, well, how can our listeners find out more about you and about uh, Winning by Design? Sure. So the, uh, winningbydesign.com, uh, 16ventures.com is my blog. It's where I, I post all of my 
crazy thoughts about about everything I'm, I'm learning out there in the customer success world. Um, or you can follow me on Twitter at Lincoln Murphy. Uh, and that's where I, I'm, I always post things there that I, I just wouldn't ever post anywhere else. So uh, sometimes it, I, I say very insightful things and sometimes I say things that incite others. So <laughs> uh, at Lincoln Murphy on Twitter. Fantastic. And I must say uh, that you were just mentioned by Dharmesh Shah as one of the smartest people in this field. So uh, certainly, uh, listeners, give uh, Lincoln a follow. Fantastic person to follow on Twitter. Um, Well, thank you again, Lincoln, for joining me. A fantastic episode. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. And to find out more about B2B Nation's Marketing Edition, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Twitter. We'd love to hear from you on this episode or any other ideas you have for future episodes. You can also find out more at technologyadvice.com backslash podcast. Thanks for listening.